and fans, and welcome to a summer edition of the CIAC cast. We are just a few weeks removed from the end of the CIAC high school sports season, so we wanted to check back in. For those of you who uh, just haven't been able to quite let go of the spring championships, we're going to do a big championship edition of the CIAC cast, looking back at the last weekend of competition where all of the CIAC championships were decided. So we've got a chock-full lineup of guests for you this week. We're going to dive in. I believe this will be the longest podcast we've ever done, so buckle up. Going to be very exciting talking to a lot of good folks. We're going to have Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American talking softball, Alex Niffen of CPTV Sports talking boys volleyball, David Resnick of MSG Varsity talking girls lacrosse, Rob Adams of Hersam Acorn Radio talking boys lacrosse, Mary Albel of the New Haven Register talking about track and field, and then Henry Chisholm of the New Haven Register talking baseball. So that is six guests in total. Hope you will stick with us all the way through. A lot of championship talk, and because of that, we're going to very, very briefly do a quick edition of of things you might have missed on CICsports.com. As I mentioned, this podcast is going to be primarily focused on the spring championships, but if you'd rather get your spring championship fill in a video form rather than an audio form, we recently posted on CICsports.com highlights of the tw- from the 21 events that were broadcast live on the NFHS network. We've got a little bit of everything in there. We've got track and field. We've got tennis along with baseball, softball, boys and girls, lacrosse, boys, volleyball. So check that out. Put a lot of time in. It's about 22 minutes in length. Uh, in total, but you can also get those links to specific games. If you go to Tournament Central, we've got highlight links there to specific contests, so if you just want to check those out as well. And of course, the NFHS Network has all of the games archived uh, from the championship weekend as well. So lots of good things, lots of championship coverage. Uh, If you want to go back and and check out things that happened during the championship season, it was a very exciting conclusion to the spring sports season and concluding a great year of CIAC competition. With all of that said, of course, first have to bring you our reminder from our good friends at the Department, Connecticut Department of Transportation. Look, we do this every time here on the CIC cast. Hopefully our, our recurring listeners know the message by now. You should know the message anyway, but either way... Uh, We're talking about distracted driving and not doing it here. We've got the summer coming up. You're going to be busy. Everyone's got things to do, but you need to put that phone away. Once you get into the car, park it in your pocket, park it in the center console. Don't check it out while you're driving. Let uh, let your passengers tell you who's been texting you and, and what they've had to say or who's emailing you, what that urgent, what you think is the urgent email says. Just keep it in your pocket. Keep it in the center console. Not worth checking it out while you're on the road. So our friends at the Department of Transportation remind you, one text or call could wreck it all. Please keep your phones parked and do not drive distracted. So with all of that said, now we're going to get to our long list of guests for this week. I believe six is the most guests we've ever had on the CIC cast. Really looking forward to talking to all these folks. We're going to start things off with Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American talking a little bit about the softball championships. We are joined now by Joe Palladino, who I'm actually looking back through my archives and realize he was on the last edition of the CIAC cast because it's been <laughs> quite a while since we've done one of these. We get uh, we get a little swarmed under uh, during championship season, but uh, we're happy to have him back, and he's going to talk a little softball with us. So, Joe, thanks for uh, for coming back. I think you may be our, my first ever back-to-back guest now, so that's uh, well, another listen, distinction for you. I guess you're not you. worried about ratings then, but I'll, <laughs> if I, whatever I could do to help, I'm happy. Well, I, you, you, uh, you're clearly <laughs> selling yourself short. How much? 
much you Thank moved you. the oh, boy. how much you moved the podcast needle. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, so some very good results for uh, for teams from your coverage area over the course of the uh, the weekend in championship softball. Um, I want to start with the the Class S game, which featured you know two teams really that uh, that at least sort of generally fall in your in your neck of the woods, and that was Holy Cross uh, earning the four nothing victory over Thomaston, sort of stopping the uh, remarkable championship run that the uh, the Thomaston girls had been on in in several sports. So, uh, sort of just initial. I know you were not at this game, but kind of your initial impressions of that game uh, from what you've read and, and what you've sort of heard uh, around about what took place in that Class S game between Holy Cross and. Thomaston. Well, I'll tell you what, it was, it's a good place to start too, because this game in and of itself was a remarkable uh, championship, because first off, as you said, you've got the Thomaston girls, Now, our our correspondent, Rick Wilson, who who does a lot with Thomaston, um, you know, made a great point in in today's newspaper, this this is a team, these kids in general, because most of the softball players are also basketball players, Mm -hmm. they hadn't lost a game since January. Wow. They hadn't lost a softball game since last May. And as you might recall, that was a remarkable run because they kept winning everything in their last at-bat during that championship run. So you've got the Thomaston girls going up against Holy Cross. This team is astounding because at one point in the season, they had a 7-5 and record. They had lost to Thomaston earlier in the year. And suddenly they found themselves being one of the hottest teams in the state. I think when you look at this, this is one of the great things about high school sports is everyone knows, you know, I mean, Holy Cross wasn't even in the NVL championship game, for crying out loud. And here they are finding their game, getting behind a great pitcher in Sarah Lawton, who's only a sophomore and has sort of just discovered herself, Mm -hmm. uh, which establishes Holy Cross as maybe one of the, the next NVL juggernauts, along with typical Seymour. So for the Thomas and girls, it was a tough loss, 4 nothing uh, against a team they had already beaten. Um, but I think what we saw here is, is the emergence of a, of a new pitching star and maybe a softball team, Holy Cross, that's going to have more of a say is moving forward uh, in, in, the, uh, in the state circles and in the NVL as well. So, you know, and of course the Thomas and girls, let's face it, none of them graduate for crying out loud. Right. And they're all coming back in basketball. So we'll be having this conversation <laughs> again after the basketball season, I assume. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think Rick Wilson put in his story the other day, maybe it's today. You know, we're, we're talking about a school with 227 kids. Yeah. You know, what they're doing is crazy. Uh, but at least anyway, for this final, Holy Cross had the number this time. Yeah, no, and uh, I think uh, you mentioned her name, but maybe the coming out of that weekend, I'm not sure there was a, a performance, uh, maybe one that we're going to talk about in a second, but you won't find too many uh, performances more dominant than the one Sarah Lawton from, from Holy Cross put together uh, against that Thomaston team. And as you said, sort of uh, emerging onto the stage all of a sudden uh, as someone who who, who really helped uh, carry her team to a, to a championship. And, uh, no, this is a tremendous team that, who in the first half of the season was not on anyone's radar. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, and I, I think you know, Thomaston probably hadn't seen a pitcher of Sarah, uh, Sarah Lawton's cal- uh, caliber all season, even, even though they even faced her earlier. This is the key. The, the growth that this team showed is astounding. Yeah. And, and you know what? The, you know, the great thing, one team we're probably not going to mention you know, in this conversation is like Nanawag. Now, here's Nanawag, which made the semifinals in, uh, I'm going to get this all goofed up, I think it was Class M, 
Uh, but, but here's a team that wasn't on anyone's radar either. It's one of the great things about these tournaments yep. is that your second chance. You can you can build towards something. And look, Holy Cross built all the way to a state championship. I mean, you got to tip your cap, A, to, to Thomaston for all its its wonderful success, and for Holy Cross for, for coming out of obscurity almost. Yeah, no, and uh, it, it says something about Thomaston's uh, resilience. I, I was able to... Uh, bouncing around to my various uh, venues on Saturday. I was I kind of caught the tail end of the S game, and it says something about Thomaston's resilience that as, as sort of dominant as Lawton had been all game, there was still a sense of, well, it's not the last inning yet. That's when, uh, that's when <laughs> Thomaston really uh, really comes to life. It didn't happen, obviously, this time, but uh, that had certainly had been their, uh, their M.O. So They've done that before, I'll yes, tell you. They ha- certainly have. So, uh, we, but we talk about dominant pitching performances and, uh, and dominant performances overall. Uh, the other team from from your neck of the woods, and I know you were at this game, the Class M final, where Oxford uh, earns their second championship in three years. Uh, talk a little bit about that Class M game and, uh, and Oxford's title. Well, I'll tell you this. Going into that game, everyone was pit, uh, uh, pinning uh, St. Joe as the St. Joseph as the favorite, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I don't know who's in softball. I don't know who the favorite is and who isn't because you know you've got two absolute aces on the yep. mound yep. in Ashley Gallette for Oxford, her senior. And uh, Nicole Williams, I think it is for St. Joe, who's a junior, I believe. Um, I, I mean, these these kids are just unhittable. Yeah, they're sensational. So, and they were both they both were magnificent again. But the second time through the lineup, you could see the Oxford kids were started to get the measure, you know, and of Williams and and uh, I mean to post four runs in an inning softball is. Unbelievable yeah. against pitchers of this caliber. I still can't believe, you know, a four nothing win in Class S doesn't knock, doesn't you know, astound me. But what happened in that end game, putting four runs against Williams, I almost can't believe it. Uh, and of course, Gillette gets the big hit, the bases, <laughs> the bases loaded double that knocked in three. Uh, Megan Saxstrom had a couple of hits. It was a tremendous game. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, Gillette, I, I'm sure everybody's glad she's gone because. Because she has she has tremendous speed, great movement on her pitches, and a very unusual herky jerky kind of motion, which I think makes it difficult to lock in on her pitches. Um, and so you know it was it, first. And on top of that, Oxford defeated a team that knocked them out of the tournament the year before. Right. You know, life sometimes has these wonderful ways of coming back around again <laughs> and giving you another chance. And uh, you really got to give them credit and coach uh, Jim Hussar. Through these guys, uh, you know they win the NVL. They lost. And you know what? You know what I love. I've always said this, uh, Joel. The worst thing in the world is to be unbeaten. Yeah. I've always said that. You never know your weaknesses. You never know what you need to work on. And Oxford lost a game this year. They had gotten beaten. Mm-hmm. That does an awful lot for a team. Plus, they got beat by St. Joe last year. It it really really fired this team up, gave them, besides, you know, just the desire to win the state championship, gave them a little more motivation, and here they are, like you said, twice in three years. Yeah, and uh, and it is, it, it does speak to, you know, I think uh, sort of looking at, as you said, these two, you know, just remarkably dominant pitchers and, uh, you know, the, the margin for error sometimes, I think particularly in these softball championship games, you know, is so slight, you know, you just, you're never quite sure, you know, is it going to be what that one inning where you happen to, you know, run into a couple pitches and, uh, and balls fall in is what, you know, could make the difference. So I did, these games have such a level of tension 
uh, to them, I think, particularly in the softball championships, because you're just because runs can be so scarce, because pitching can be so dominant. There's just a level of tension uh, that's really amazing to watch, I think, sometimes in these softball finals. Well, I think um, one walk could be a disaster. Sure. You know, and, and that happened during that game. You know, we saw a, a, a leadoff walk here or there, and then, of course, the bunting starts and the mm-hmm. base stealing and the ball flying around the infield. <laughs> you, you just, you, the level of pitching is so amazing yeah. that you can't make a mistake. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I give Oxford credit. Again, they caught up. I mean, I don't know who the best pitcher in the state is. Everybody's always arguing about that sure. point. Um, I have no clue who, who that might be. But I think we saw two of the best right here. And, and you know, and what, what uh, Oxford did to, to, just, to just get – he's trying to get one run. He's trying to push one run across. And holy smoke, they got four. It was astounding. Yeah. No, it certainly uh, – it, as you said, it was interesting in your story. When I first read it, you, you talked about how it was something of a, of a route, which sounds ridiculous when you're talking about a 4 nothing no, game. No, I couldn't but, believe uh, that. I, I absolutely – I think, yeah, I think it, it does apply when you're talking about how, uh, how tough it is to push a run across, just one run across against some of these pitchers. So uh, two very, uh, very, very interesting teams uh, to follow from, from your neck of the woods. Uh, I know you're also at least a little bit, uh, you know, involved in, in keeping track of some of the teams from uh, from the Cheshire area, and they were also taking part of a, in a softball final in, in what turned out to be another just remarkably dramatic uh, championship game over the <laughs> I know. over a, the a weekend. Walk-off. Here again, nine runs in that game. Right. Well, I mean, and, come on, are you kidding? You know what was so great about the double L game is that you've got Cheshire and Southington, who, as we all know, uh, are like uh, you know they rub elbows all mm-hmm. the time. They're, they're always at each other's. <laughs> They're always at each other's throats in everything, and and you and here again, you've got these tremendous. But first of all, Southington, this is not unbelievable. I mean, what is it? Seventy wins in a row now. Seventy Joel? now, yeah. That's that's just that's crazy. Come yeah. on, at, you know, and, and this is nothing new, by the way. You know, like for our coverage area, Seymour has has had these kind of runs. Southington is a tad. We do sell papers down there, but mm-hmm. it's a tad fringe. But you know, you've got you've got Kendra Freight who's just a spectacular picture, uh, Cheshire with, um, I, I suddenly can't think of her name, oh, oh, oh Mackenzie uh, Juditis. I mean, so here, here are these great pitchers going up. What, what was it, a 4 nothing lead? I think 4 nothing lead for Cheshire, nothing yep. in this game. Yep. This, doesn't that mean game over in softball? You would, you would <laughs> think. You just called it a route in the other game, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll apparently uh, not quite the case here. Yeah, and I just, you know, a walk-off win, um, you know, girls scrambling home from third base in the end there. I, I just – I tell you what, Joe, you guys must have been thrilled. The CIAC staged some tremendous games in softball. Um, they, they tend to be great in softball because, as you mentioned before, the margin of error is so slim. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the and games the, are usually tight and frantic. Yeah, no, and as you said, you know, you start – it doesn't usually matter how they get on base, but you start getting people <laughs> on base, and, and, you know, I mean, this was a, a sacrifice fly that uh, that right. led to the the walk-off win. As you said, the ball starts flying around, and, and weird things happen, and that uh, is sort of how, how the Class L – uh, excuse me, the class double L game ended. So uh, a very exciting weekend and uh, a lot, a lot going on. Joe, just kind of your uh, any, just sort of a broad general question, either for softball or or in general. Your any big takeaways from the spring season for you from uh, from your neck of the woods? Um, well, you know, for me, I, I, it, it was 
the most amazing thing was how great our softball teams did. I mean, every season I do this, I start looking over the schedule and trying to decide what area teams have a shot to get to a state final. Right. And, and you, know, you always think Seymour, and you know Oxford has the great pitcher, but you know what? You didn't think Holy Cross, you didn't think Nanawa girls softball was, was going to get that far. That's the stuff you love. Out of nowhere, you know, like in basketball season, well, Sacred Heart Thomaston, right? That's, that's like uh, death and taxes. You, sure. knew, you knew what's going on. You're not shocked. This spring, that was what, that's what makes this so exciting. And I hope the, the fans think of that as well, not just moms and dads, but the general sports fans. There, there are teams here that, that no one had any idea were going to have this much success. That's what makes this so much fun, my job, so much fun to cover. I mean, you know you're going to have a – you know you're going to have a class S championship game. <laughs> well, that's coming. You know it's inevitable. Right. But we were stunned to see Holy Cross there, and and you know just delighted to see kids like that achieve so much. Yeah, no, it, it and I think uh, you know obviously it can happen all the time, but it it does seem like the spring season you know maybe generates at least a little bit more of that sort of you know surprising runs at least deep into the tournaments and into the finals. You know with sort of the 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 nature of pitching and all that kind of stuff in softball and baseball is uh, we we you know different sport and that'll be covered in a different interview in our podcast but we saw the 27th seed win one of the the baseball championships this year so no I know I mean you know what the great thing is I mean I've seen teams you you know there's great teams out there and you know they're going to be great and it's fun to watch them yep but it's significantly more enjoyable when a team grows and shows you things that you'd never thought they had. Obviously, I don't cover a lot of softball, but we did see that with Holy Cross. I see that a lot in soccer, where a team starts out the season. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they're not even going to make the state tournament. Suddenly, they're in deep into the state tournament. (laughs) And you wonder, wow, what has that coach and these kids accomplished? It's amazing. And, you know, that's that's what makes the job so much fun and, and, you know, we saw that this spring. Absolutely. I don't think I could put a, a better exclamation point on it than that. So we will uh, we will leave it at that with our, our back-to-back podcast guest, Joe Palladino, <laughs> helping us uh, just branch out and, and increase our ratings tenfold, I'm sure. Oh, so, my Joe, God. So what does this mean, Joel? Am I now banned until 2017? Yeah, or we're, we're putting you on a, a three- or four-month hiatus at least. we gotta, <laughs> okay. we got to keep you on the shelf. But, Joe, thanks right. as always for being with us. Thank you, Joel. I challenge you to find anybody who talks with as much excitement and passion about high school sports as Joe Palladino does, and that's one of the reasons I love having him on the CIAC cast. Always brings some great enthusiasm to uh, to the proceedings. Next up, we're going to turn our attention to boys volleyball, the two championship matches taking place a few weeks ago at Shelton High School. Alex Niffen of CPTV Sports was on hand for those. We've got a first-time guest on the CIAC cast, and we're very happy to have with us now Alex Niffen, who provided the color commentary for the boys' volleyball finals for CPTV Sports this past weekend. Alex, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure. Very happy to have you uh, join us here to talk a little boys' volleyball. Two finals taking place over the weekend on Friday night. You had Newington and Joel Barlow in the Class M final and Ridgefield and Darianne in the Class L match. Let's start off with the Class M championship where Newington was able to earn the 3-1 to victory. I uh, saw a lot of commentary kind of after the fact talking about the, the difference in experience level between these two teams. Uh, Newington, a team with you know some championship history, recent championship 
championship history and Joel Barlow, a little bit more of a newcomer to the finals. Uh, from your perspective, did, was that something that you saw as uh, a factor in that match as well as Newington was able to come away with the victory? Um, certainly there was some of that. Uh, you know, gosh, I mean, they, they, they've been to the championships three years in, 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 or three times in four years has, mm-hmm. has Newington. So they've, they've definitely got that repertoire and that just sort of comfort with being in that moment. That being said, look, both of those teams, their entire starting lineups are playing club ball in the offseason. Right. So you've got very, very experienced players. Where maybe there was a little bit of a difference was possibly actually in some of the, the coaching strategy. I thought maybe Newington played a little more into their hand mm-hmm. down the stretch. Um, they were having a lot of difficulty finding a second player to score points aside from Nick Hinchcliffe. And so their coaching staff made a change, looked like halfway through game two, maybe right at the beginning of game three, right. to just set Nick Hinchcliffe, regardless of where he was on the court. Leave mm-hmm. Nick Hinchcliffe in all the time. He normally plays all the way around. If he's front row, set him. If he's back row, set him. And the game was going to you know, essentially hinge on Hinchcliffe's shoulder, whether it could support the whole rest of the team swinging nonstop. Sure. That worked very well for them. On the other side of it, I felt like Joel Barlow, um, you know, Chatham Studer is a fantastic, fantastic talent, but they were taking him out for three rotations, which has been their process throughout the season. Down the stretch, though, they suddenly felt that they were outgunned because Hinchcliffe was swinging all the time, and they finally made the change in game four to leave Studer in all the time, and quite frankly, I thought he played admirably in the back row, and mm-hmm. he did provide for them at least two or three kills uh, while he was still in in the back row. And so, you know, if I'm going to sort of look at it today and say, what could have Ridgefield done differently? I think making that change a little earlier probably gave them a better shot. Sure. Yeah, no, and those are obviously the, the decisions that you're trying to make in, in real time and, and trying to gauge uh, – you know, there's sort of that uh, that thought of as coaches, and I'm sure you, uh, with your coaching experience, would know this. That uh, you know, do you the, do you sort of feel like you're going to panic if you're you know, do you stick with what got you there, so to speak, or do you try to you know game plan specifically or or adjust specifically to what's happening in that match? And I know that's not an easy decision for coaches to make in terms of you know taking team maybe out of their comfort zone a little bit, but uh, if it's necessary, maybe that's what a team has to do in a in a given situation. Right. Right. And and. You know, what worked for both teams throughout the season was certainly going to their big guns. Mm-hmm. The big sort of difference, I think, for, for Ridgefield coming into the finals was, was Dante Phillips. Uh, Dante Phillips is just as big as Chatham Studer. He's just as tall, as strong, jumps just as high. So Studer was used to being able to basically hit through and over anybody he saw all season. And then suddenly he runs into another guy built as big as him, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and so, you know, that maybe was, was a little ace up the sleeve for uh, Newington. Not to say that uh, Tyler Callahan, the other middle, wasn't effective, but it didn't look like Tyler bothered Chatham Studer the way Dante Phillip did. Dante Phillip, you know, just sort of suddenly like looking in a mirror and going, oh my goodness, 
there's somebody as big as me on the other side of the net. Absolutely, yeah. Um, moving over to the to the Class L game where uh, where Ridgefield actually drops the the first first set uh, to Darianne, but then rallies to to win the next three. What did you see as sort of uh, the differences and or maybe the keys for Ridgefield in coming away with the championship in Class L? Depth, uh, and this is this is the same. This is true in Class Double L on the on the girls' side. Class L on the boys' side. When, when you deal with smaller schools, whether we're talking, you know, class SM or even L on the girls' side and certainly class M on the boys' side, mm-hmm. you can hang your hat on one great player. Once you get up into the big leagues, once you're talking double L on the girls and, and L on the boys, there's the, the teams you're playing against also have one great player. Sure. They, may have, they might have two great players. So what it really came down to, in my mind, was – Actually, uh, uh, Ladati and Liguri. That's uh, uh, Nick Ladati and Mark Liguri. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carly Oppenoff is a fantastic player. Uh, hats off to him. He was certainly uh, deserving of the MB- MVP. But I felt like him and Todd Herget uh, for Darianne effectively canceled each other out. Right. Uh, and then Alex Preston had a fantastic game for Darianne, but Nick Ladati for Richfield canceled him out. And so what you were left with was Mark Liguri, who's the other outside for Ridgefield, who had a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. And Darian just didn't have that third leg to the stool sure. to base their offense off of. Um, you know, it, it actually reminded me quite a bit of the Cheshire Girls Championship this past uh, uh, fall, where, you know, Jillian Aberley is a fantastic, fantastic hitter. But they go up against Darian. Darian has two fantastic hitters, and there's just no second offensive option. When you're playing in the big leagues like that, you need to have multiple, multiple options, if for no other reason than to just be able to answer the other team's points. Right. Yeah. So um, when you, you looked at the, uh, as I said, you know, in, in both cases, the the championship team uh, did drop one game among the, uh, the the four, but it was able to, to come back and win. Uh, for Ridgefield, it did come in the first game, so they were trailing one nothing. Did you see any adjustments uh, that Ridgefield was able to make to, to kind of right the ship after falling behind 1-0, or was it just a matter of sort of using that depth a little bit better uh, as the match progressed? Yeah, I mean, w- w- so, you know, Newington, for example, could set Nick Hinchcliffe front row, back row. The rallies didn't go too long. When Nick got the set, he could put it down. He stayed fairly fresh. And honestly, he didn't need to be at 100% at the end of the game to be able to win. In this situation, Todd Herget, phenomenal athlete. He could put a ball down and no one could get a hand on it in the first set. But he could not continue to play at that level 100% of the points for four or five sets. Mm-hmm. I think if, if Darian was going to win it, it needed to be this sort of perfect storm of Todd Herget getting set perfectly every opportunity possible and putting the ball down. And so what you saw was you saw Ridgefield weathered the storm in the first game. They lost the game, but it was kind of a, and I actually referenced this during the, the match, a Pyrrhic victory for, for Darian. Mm-hmm. They won the battle but lost the war because Todd just had to overextend himself to win. Yeah. And then after that, as he started running out of gas, and it frankly wasn't just him, everybody was running out of gas by the time set four came around. It, it, was, it was Richfields to win. Yeah. 
Um, coming in, obviously, into a championship, you know, you're preparing to for the broadcast and you're familiar with these teams. I'm curious if there was anything that sort of surprised you uh, as the matches progressed uh, in either L or M, either from a, the standpoint of how the matches played out or, or maybe players that, uh, that sort of stepped in and, uh, and caught your eye in terms of that maybe you weren't expecting. I really like Jake Draconis uh, for Joel Barlow. Um, you know, every, the, the talk was always about Chatham Studer, and, and deservedly so. Chatham is, is, a, is a, a, a unique talent. But uh, Traconis is a, is a great outside hitter. Um, I was also very impressed on the Class L side um, with the sophomores. You know, there was, there was a couple of sophomores playing mm-hmm. in that match, which is surprising. In class L, uh, class L like that, you would expect just about all upperclassmen out on the floor. Sure. Um, but you saw quite a few sophomores um, you know, which was a little bit of an eyebrow raise going in, and then and then watching most of them play, I would say that you know, bar none, those were the right calls by the coaches to to, to play those players. They're, they're, it's a really young but talented group of kids for both Ridgefield and Darien. Yeah, and uh, and led to a, a to excellent seasons for both, and an excellent championship uh, championship match for both. So, uh, Alex, we uh, we greatly appreciate you checking in. We know you did an outstanding job, and and folks can still check out the uh, the CPTV Sports broadcast uh, re-airing uh, all over the place uh, in the coming weeks for the championships, and as well on the NFHS Network. You can check out those broadcasts and uh, check them out and see what uh, what Alex is referencing here with some of the things that we just talked about. So, we thank you very much for uh, for joining us and offering your insight on what took place over the weekend at Shelton. That was my pleasure and have a great summer. Very thankful for Alex for taking a little bit of time. He, uh, you couldn't hear it on the podcast, but he had actually just put down his uh, his infant child there shortly before the interview took place, and she was kind enough to nap while we were chatting. So that was uh, able to get that interview in and really enjoyed getting Alex's perspective on the boys' volleyball championship. We turn our attention now to girls lacrosse. Bunnell High School was the site for three girls lacrosse championship games. David Resnick of MSG Varsity and CPTV Sports was on hand for those contests. One of the many championship sites taking place over the weekend was the girls lacrosse state finals at Bunnell High School in Stratford, and David Resnick of MSG Varsity was there. Uh, on this on this day, he was serving, f- working for CPTV Sports, and as well as broadcasting live on the NFHS network. So we get reach out to him to get his perspective on what took place at Bunnell High School. David, thanks for being with us. Joel, I appreciate it. Thank you. So you had a, a a couple good, very good games there. Some uh, some drama, some interesting performances, and 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 the like. So, want to start off with with sort of the game that ended up being the biggest uh, barn burner of the day, and maybe on paper looked like one that would uh, would be could go down to the wire, and that was the Class S final between uh, Old Old Saybrook and, and Granby that ended up going to double overtime. So sort of starting off uh, from your perspective, it you know, and getting some some quotes from the the Old Saybrook coach, it seemed like Old Saybrook had things more or less under control in that game. Did, did you get that sense as well? And then what sort of did you see that maybe started to, to swing the momentum over to Granby's side and uh, eventually was able to help them come away with the victory? Sure. Well, Old Saybrook was a team that, that fell behind one nothing early and then really controlled the game for the rest of the way as, as they built up momentum and and at least found some comfort in their first championship game appearance. And, and if you take a look at the box score, they, they build a lead, they hold on to a lead, they're good down the stretch, and perhaps it's a bit cliche to think, but for Granby, a, a team that had been to the championship three previous times, 
they were again in the title for back-to-back years, and they have they lost all three of their previous appearances by close margins. Mm-hmm. So the experience was certainly on the bear side. Um, and as Olivia Johnson scored her eight goals to, to keep the Bears close and within striking distance, it was one of those down-the-stretch moments where Granby was able to build some momentum, finally tie the game. Uh, Old Saybrook came back to take a lead, and the Bears just would not go away. And after that one nothing lead that they had early, the next time they would have the lead was the final score of 14-13 as they would break a tie in overtime. And, you know, you speak to coaches a lot, and they just talk about the desire of seniors. And for Granby, a team that had gotten so close so many times, they were finally able to put it all together. Um, as Old Saybrook, you don't want to say that they faltered, but definitely towards the end, maybe the moment just got a little bit big. And that's why coaches say, you know, experience is so important, and it's so tough to win when you get to the finals for the first time. Absolutely. And, and uh, did you, you know, obviously was from your perspective, did you have a sense that that, that Granby run was coming or did it feel like old Saybrook did have the game sort of under control and, and kind of at least, you know, in it, in its in control of things as it was progressing. Sure. I thought the Rams were in a good spot, especially when you consider that Johnson who has over 300 goals for her career had eight. Mm-hmm and Old Saybrook was still leading, Yeah, you thought, well, I mean, if she could put in this all-world performance and Old Saybrook is still in control and all their top players um, were playing at, at their height, I think also towards the end, um, it was such a beautiful day in Stratford. The sun was shining. There were a few clouds in the skies, but that also meant that the heat uh, played a factor. And, sure. and, I, and I thought towards the end, not only the experience for Granby, but the fatigue for the Rams started to kick in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Granby was able to sub a little bit more, get a few additional players um, to come off the bench and, and provide a little bit of a support. So as the experience was helpful uh, towards the end, so too was the fact that Granby was a little bit deeper and they were able to make that run towards the end. If the game was 43 minutes or, or 45 minutes, Old Saybrook was right there. Uh, luckily for Granby, they had that a little bit extra time to make their comeback and, and win in overtime. Yeah, you certainly uh, something to keep an eye on maybe as uh, we look well ahead to next year and maybe uh, that old Saybrook team could find itself back in this position now with that, that experience under their belt. And you be interesting to see how that, uh, how that could play out if they're back here uh, again in the Class S final next year. Uh, some teams that uh, that do have some championship experience uh, between them in the Class L final, which is what started off your day. Uh, longtime rivals uh, Wilton and Darianne from the FCAC uh, taking on you know each other in that in that championship final. Uh, you know Wilton got out to that early lead. David, did you? What was sort of your sense uh, from from Darianne in terms of what turned things around and sort of got them back uh, under control in that game after Wilton jumped out on them? I think what was so exciting in the day as a whole is that we talked about the Class S matchup, mm-hmm. and that was a matchup of conference champions. The Class L matchup w- was a matchup of reigning state champions and also FCAC rivals. Uh, early on, uh, Wilton jumped ahead 4-1, as you mentioned, thanks to four straight goals after Darian took an early lead. Uh, and it was actually something that Lisa Lindley had talked about throughout the season, and specifically even after a semifinal victory over Carnard that – at the end, it was 13-6, but they were actually uh, down too early and then scored six straight goals. Mm-hmm. And Coach Lindley talked about her biggest fear or the constant fear throughout the season 
with slow starts for Darianne. Yeah. Uh, and you look at a turning point, and it's an early timeout. Uh, and Coach Lindley is never short on enthusiasm, and the team really turned things around. And we talked about depth in the Class S game, and the depth was important here as well. Uh, Darianne just had a few additional players that they were able to wear down Wilson, uh, come back, tie things up for halftime, take an early lead, a key save by All-American Sammy Nielsen in net. Uh, when the game was a one-goal, two-goal game towards the end, just provided enough of a spark for Darien to finish things up towards the end. Yeah, and uh, you get the feeling, you know, the, these teams can uh, do face each other a lot, obviously, you know, regular season and then the FCAC tournament. Not necessarily these two teams, but uh, very familiar with each other and, and very little, you know, separating them. From your perspective, and I know you are familiar with, you know, some of these teams, and, and it's obviously, you know, there's talent is, is at play. The Darien team is, is especially talented. But what sort of has, from your perspective, really does separate them along with that talent? Is there anything? Is it just talent? Or is there something else that kind of sets them apart uh, that has led to such success at the championship level? Sure. It, it's talent. Um, it, it's depth, for sure. Um, uh, one of their key players, Laura Murphy, uh, went down, a sophomore who's one of the best goal scorers with uh, an ankle or, or a foot injury early on. Mm-hmm. They plug in Susie Ropp, and she has a multi-point effort, sure. um, and, and they don't miss a beat. Uh, they have Gabby Noto, who is not an official starter but plays you know, starters minutes on offense. She comes in and has a big game. She's just a sophomore. Mm-hmm. And I think an interesting storyline for Darianne is that they graduated three All-Americans and four four-year starters, and the notion was that they would be a little bit down. Uh, but the senior class led by Anna Moorhead and Mariah Mathias, uh, Caroline Benitez, they really talked about using that as motivation to keep up the standard of excellence. And sometimes when you're hoping not to let your teammates down or the program down, uh, that serves um, as uh, a huge motivation. And, and for Wilton, I, I think they were just – the, the talent level was there for sure. They did such a great job of closing the gap just a couple of weeks ago. They lost 15-8 in the mm-hmm. FCX semifinal to Darien, and this game was much closer. Uh, they lost seven starters from last year's state championship team, uh, and so this was a team that continually got better. Uh, Meredith Myron talked about how proud she was of the progress that the team was able to make. Um, I, I think this is just an example of Darien just having a, a few more players to get the job done uh, and Wilton showing a valiant effort despite being shorthanded. Yeah, no, really, uh, again, you could watch these the, the, the talent level and the skill displayed when some of these teams get get together at the state championship level is, is just so fun to watch and certainly uh, was the case with the Class L championship game as well as the Class M game, which wrapped up the day. You had uh, New Canaan uh, also coming from behind, not quite the same deficit uh, that Darien faced early against Wilton, but comes from behind to rally past Daniel Hand. What stood out to you as sort of the difference in the Class M final? Absolutely, and the storyline for this game was the idea that Daniel Hand and New Canaan were playing in the playoffs for the fourth straight time. Mm-hmm. And in previous years, it was either in the first round or last year was in the quarterfinals. And now it was all the way in the championship game. It was the number one offense in Connecticut statistically of Daniel Hand against the number one defense uh, for New Canaan with the Tigers scoring more than 15 goals per game and New Canaan uh, allowing just six. I think the real turning point, and it's always the game within the game, uh, Kevin Selecki of Daniel Hand, their head coach, really thought his team would have an advantage of the draw control circle. And Aaron Mamley has had an all-world type year, and one of her strengths is the draw circle. New Keenan has a couple of different options uh, that they go to, and they started uh, with 
a couple different options, and then Kristen Woods, the ninth-year head coach of New Canaan, switched to sophomore Campbell Armstrong. She totally neutralized Mamely using her long reach and her additional height. Those extra possessions started to generate into goals, and all of a sudden the Rams were dominating time and possession thanks to the efforts of Armstrong. And once New Canaan got those possessions, the offense went to work, uh, and they created a comfortable separation by the second half. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fascinating kind of, as you say, subplot. And, you know, obviously the, the goals and, uh, and shots and possession get all the uh, get sort of the attention, but uh, the draws at the beginning to, uh, to help maintain that possession are really uh, a key factor. Um, looking at it just sort of from a broader perspective, and I'm sure you've mentioned a few of the names, but uh, maybe give me, uh, you know, uh, just a handful of players that really jumped out at you and kind of stood out uh, over the weekend that really distinguished themselves at the, in the state championship game. Sure. Uh, class S-wise, uh, really, you talk about big players playing big and big moments, and Old Saybrook, the combination of, of Molly Beck and Hudson Rorick and, and Gabby Rose, all three seniors, all captains, they all did what they were uh, expected to do, whether that's score or assist, play in between the lines. Uh, they were really, really solid in their efforts, and a junior for Old Saybrook, Paige Gumkowski, She's certainly somebody to look out for next year as she fills in uh, some of the point production and the leadership roles uh, from those graduated seniors. Uh, for Granby, Olivia Johnson, I mean, eight goals at any level, at any stage, let mm-hmm. alone the state championship game, is incredible. And it turned out that Krista Awanaki, who was her running mate as a senior from the midfield, scored that game-winning goal. Uh, so Granby was really lucky to have their seniors um, step up in big moments. Uh, for for Darianne, you know, a lot of their, I think, marquee talent uh, is in some of the non-senior classes, whether that be uh, Katie Cronin or, or Laura Murphy, who went down. But uh, a big credit to Mariah Mathias and Anna Moorhead and Caroline Benitez for their leadership uh, to get those uh, her, their teammates in right positions. And Sammy Nielsen uh, capped off uh, an All-American year with not a lot of saves, but uh, timely saves. Uh, for Wilton, the career of uh, McKenna Pearsall came to an end. Uh, a four-year varsity player, a three-sport athlete, a two-time All-American uh, as a midfielder who does a little bit of everything, and her running mate, Sarah Dickinson, another four-year varsity player. They were such key cogs in last year's state championship victory over New Canaan. Mm-hmm. Those girls went to four straight state finals. Uh, and in the uh, last game of the day uh, with Class M, uh, it was such a treat to watch Lauren Cole uh, had even more scored a couple of times, had close to 130 goals on the season. Uh, Aaron Mamley fought through injury and had uh, a whale of a day in terms of her ability in the midfield for Daniel Hand. Uh, and for New Canaan, such a decorated senior class led by Elizabeth Miller, who not only is a three-sport athlete, but a three-sport captain offensively she was spectacular defensively she matched up a lot against Mamely. that was a great matchup within the game that, that we tracked and saw throughout the contest right uh it was so amazing to see such great talent on, on a big stage um in the state championship game and it's always so wonderful to see those big names that you want to see do well and control the game 
so many of them had great impacts on Saturday. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, you did a great job there. <clears throat> Excuse me, kind of summing uh, summing that up. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll end on this question, and uh, and the answer is is certainly uh, can be that nothing uh, sort of did this. But uh, I'm curious, as as you kind of prepared, and then as you watched the games, was were there any surprises for you either in how any of the games played out, or, or any of the the performances, or anything at all that sort of uh, that that took you by surprise over the course of the uh, the three championship games? I think it's always interesting to see at this level. There, there's a lot of talk um, about the dominance of the FCAC, mm-hmm. um, and they certainly came through uh, in the Class L and the Class M. Um, I, I think it was really interesting to see. I don't know if it was a surprise um, how much Daniel Hand is, is trying to close the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they lost to uh, Darianne uh, in 2011 in the final 15-5 to five, uh, in a game that wasn't really that close. Yeah. Um, and if you really take a look at the New Canaan matchup this time around, New Canaan dominated on the draw and they dominated on the ground balls, and that resulted in possession. But if you looked at the offensive efficiency as Daniel Hand um, got the ball, they, they were pretty solid on offense. And I, and I think that's one of the biggest storylines coming out of it. How much can Daniel Hand continue to progress? Um, are they able uh, to schedule maybe higher quality uh, opponents for them to continue up uh, and improve? Um, and, I, and I think maybe what was a little bit surprising, additionally, is just the level of talent and the level of play at the Class um, F level. Sure. Um, maybe not the, the same number of college commitments or Division One recruits, but that was a highly competitive game with a lot of great skill and a lot of good play. And I think it's a testament to Connecticut as a whole from all three levels in terms of how much the play has gotten better especially since the CIAC has continued to uh, sanction and hold these state championship matchups. Yeah, no, I uh, I was fortunate to catch. Uh, I was bouncing around from site to site, but caught a, a fair bit of that uh, that Class S game. And you're absolutely right, both in terms of the you know the ability and the the competitiveness was certainly not lacking uh, in in any way, shape, or form. So that was uh, certainly great to see from our perspective, and uh, and glad that you enjoyed that as well. So, David, we uh, we appreciate it. Not sure uh, when. Uh, we're talking on a Tuesday. Not sure when this podcast will air, but folks can check out the uh, the first airing of these uh, girls lacrosse championship games on CPTV Sports. The Class L will be Tuesday night at 7:30. Class S Wednesday night at 7:30, and the Class M will be Thursday night at 7:30. And uh, they're also all available at nfhsnetwork.com if you want to uh, check them out on demand there as well. So, David, we know you did a great job uh, covering all the action, a lot of exciting stuff, and uh, did a great job recapping it all. For us. So thanks very much for being with us. Appreciate it, Joel. Thank you. Thanks very much to David for offering his insight on the girls lacrosse final. Some very exciting games that took place there. Also some very exciting games at Joel, excuse me, at Brian McMahon High School in Norwalk. And that's where Rob Adams of Hersam Acorn Radio and the NFHS Network was taking part in the coverage there. We reach out to Rob to get a little bit of an insight on what took place at the boys lacrosse finals. Very happy to have on the phone with us now Rob Adams from Hersam Acorn Radio and the NFHS Network. He was uh, on hand at Brian McMahon High School this past weekend for the Boys Lacrosse Championships, and he's going to uh, offer a little bit of his perspective on what took place there. Rob, thanks as always for being with us. Oh, my pleasure, Joel. Good to talk to you. Love talking to you, and uh, love talking a little what turned out to be very uh, exciting boys lacrosse game. So let's start things off with uh, with the Class M game, which is what got the week, the the day started as uh, New Canaan comes away with a ten to five victory over Daniel Hand. 
just sort of your initial uh, kind of first impressions of that game as, uh, as New Canaan was able to come away with the victory? Well, New Canaan was very impressive that Justin Mike took it uh, to, the, uh, to the Tigers almost from the opening faceoff. They scored 42 seconds in, and before you knew it, Meichner had scored four times. And uh, the Rams, who really had dominated parts of the FCAC and certainly dominated their way through Class M, just rolled to a title. And uh, it's amazing that for the Rams, it's their first championship in 12 years. It's hard to believe they have not won at the state title, given all the success they have had. But in a very strong FCAC, with Darien, who was in Class M with them forever, including last year when the Blue Wave beat the Rams before the Blue Wave moved up to Class L, it was tough for the Rams to break through and win that, that elusive title. And finally, Chip Buzio's crew got it done on Saturday. Yeah, how important uh, from, from what you saw and kind of was that fast start for New Canaan? Uh, you know, you mentioned they, they jumped out in front uh, and really sort of seemed to have the game in hand. Daniel Hand uh, did, a, did a yeoman's work really trying to fight their way back into it. But how important was that fast start for New Canaan in this one? As you said, trying to get uh, off the schneid a little bit for them in terms of championships. I think it just set the tone for the Rams for the day. I, I think that by getting those early goals, they were able to take control of the game and then not really not have to play catch up not even panic when uh, Daniel Hand was able to get on the scoreboard by then they felt pretty comfortable with where they were and they were pretty much able to run and hide I don't I never felt like the game was in doubt I didn't feel like there was a lot of drama and Daniel Hand was a good team but the Rams just seemed to be you know almost playing with that that you know it's it's such a cliche but playing with a mission yeah, absolutely. Any uh, any particular? Uh, you, you mentioned the gentleman who uh, who opened the scoring and, and who opened uh, New Canaan up to that four nothing lead early on. Any other players that really sort of jumped out at you from that contest that uh, that stood out for you? He just he was so good, but you know, he, of course, he's got Michael Krauss right there as well, and a, a, that's another lethal scorer for this team. There's a lot of talent up and down this team. They they were missing Frank Cognetta, who got injured in the uh, semifinal win uh, against Wilton. But you know, one Cognetta goes down, another Cognetta steps up. So you know, Michael Cognetta and Matthew Cognetta both played well, and and Frank was there supporting all of them. And as I said, Krauss and. Uh, you know, top to bottom, it just was a, a really good Ram team. I was very impressed by them. Yeah, absolutely. And as we said, a 10-5 victory and a championship for, for New Canaan. Moving on to the Class S game, which maybe was, uh, you know, if there was a, a real surprising result uh, of the weekend, that may have been among the highest ones as St. Joseph comes away with the 14-5 the to victory over Weston, two teams that have been a, a staple of the Class S uh, tournament championship field the last couple of years. Uh, Rob, how uh, sort of surprising was this result to you? Maybe not in terms of St. Joseph winning, but sort of the 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 relative comfort with which they came away with the win. Yeah, I, I, I found myself surprised that it was um, as almost lopsided, and I hate to use that word, but it really was such a dominant performance by the cadet team that they came out and just took it right off the bat. And they just, you know, it was only 2 nothing after 1, Joel, but they ran away from there, and it just seemed to increase as the day went along. It was a really impressive performance by the St. Joe's Cadets, and and the Cadets play, obviously, in that FCA conference, which is such uh, the hotbed of lacrosse, 
and yet there they were, you know, kind of getting beaten up in the FCAC, but they were able to do what they did against, uh, you know, what I thought was a, a good Western Trojan team, but the cadets looked that much better. Mike Sedora looked so good. He had four goals and assist, had a big turnover before halftime. Preston Olette, three, uh, four goals, in fact, three of them in the first half, and, you know, it was 6-1 early on, and, and that was pretty much all she wrote from there. Yeah, no, the it's as you said, through, through the first uh, period and then the, uh, you know, even a, a few minutes into the second period, looked like you were going to have your kind of typical St. Joe's Weston uh, game that was highly competitive, and then it just, uh, St. Joe's just kind of put the hammer down and all of a sudden pulled away. So, on to, uh, on to Class L, which uh, had all of the drama that you would want for a, a championship game, as Darian able to come away with a 6-5 victory. What were your sort of initial impressions of that contest, Rob? I wondered if the Tigers could stay with the Blue Wave. Uh, the earlier results in the year had not been pretty between the two. You know, Ridgefield had pretty much taken it early on to the, uh, or rather, excuse me, Darien took it early on to the Tigers. The Blue Wave looked really good. The Blue Wave looked like they were a nationally ranked team, which of course they are, mm-hmm. before they got tripped up a little bit by New Canaan as well as, as a couple of other games throughout the season. Uh, Greenwich as well gave them a pretty hard time. So I didn't know if the Tigers could stay with them. The Tigers coming off the emotional victory, beating the Greenwich Cardinals just a few days earlier. Uh, so I didn't know. I didn't know what to look for in this game. I, I worried that it wasn't going to be a good close game, and it turned out to just be a wonderful game. Ridgefield got the early good start with Simon Mathias, who's been so great. He's bound for Penn for obvious reasons. Smart kid, good player. He's going to go on and do big things with lacrosse. And it seemed like we had ourselves a game. I wondered if the Tigers could stick around at that pace, and would they get the, the Blue Wave back on their heels? But the, the Blue Wave never panicked, and that's why they've got such, play, such good play all over that team, and they were able to get the late goal. Uh, I thought Mark Ivanchik's long stick goal was a, just a huge turning point in the game because it was only 5-4 at the point that Ivanchik goes down really untouched. He ran a good 40, 50 yards alone, and I remember kind of looking at, at him going, my gosh, he might as well stop and shoot the ball, and he gets about 20 yards out. And as I say in the play-by-play call, pop goal. I mean, that's really all he needed to do, and he got it past Brendan Winnie, who I know was very disappointed after the game. We had a, 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 an amazing camera shot of Winnie hanging his head in, in just utter disbelief that it turned out this way because the Tigers were right there in the thick of it and very much could have won that game. Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned and, and sort of the the reverse a little bit of the, the new Canaan game where it was Ridgefield that uh, that got out to that early lead. What did you see uh, that changed for Darien? You know, they, they were trailing early. What kind of uh, what did you, from your perspective, made the sort of flip the switch or was able to kind of turn things around and get them back into the game and then ultimately uh, come from behind and earn the victory? I felt like the passing and the pace of the game changed for Darian at one point. Um, you know, it was close all along, right before the break. The, the Tigers were able to take a lead into the intermission, but I felt like the blue wave began to find a better pace in the second half and they felt more comfortable but the passing was outstanding if you get a chance to watch the goal that moves its way from uh, Colin Minicus a gorgeous feed inside to get it down to Christian Trafone who just one-timed it past Brendan Winnie and at that point 
I thought, uh-oh, you know, the Tigers are in a bit of trouble now. It was, a, it was an amazing goal to watch, and, and you just watch the momentum turn. They were able to cut it, the Tigers were able to cut it back to a one-goal game on the late Simon Mathias goal, but they just couldn't take advantage of other opportunities. And they did have possessions late in the game to tie it up, but the, uh, the Blue Wave played good enough defense to get the job done. Absolutely, and uh, capping a very uh, very excellent day of competition at uh, Brian McMahon High School. And Rob Adams was on the call for all of those games for uh, the NFHS Network and uh, Hurst Acorn Radio, and we uh, we appreciate him checking in with us now and, uh, and offering some of his thoughts on what took place. So, Rob, great job over the weekend, and thanks very much for uh, taking the time to chat with us. Thanks, Joel, so much. We look tar- forward to talking to you again. Always a pleasure to talk to Rob. He's been kind enough to have me on his show every now and then, and uh, I try not to embarrass myself there, and he certainly did not embarrass himself offering some great insight into what took place at three very exciting boys lacrosse finals at Brian McMahon during our championship weekend. Now we reach out to one of our frequent CIC cast guests. She keeps track of the track and field across the state of Connecticut just about as well as anybody. That's Mary Albel of the New Haven Register. We are joined now by Mary Albel of the New Haven Register and Game Time CT, and she is uh, one of our very familiar CIAC cast guests because nobody uh, in the state of Connecticut, well, maybe nobody, but certainly uh, in the conversation, covers track and field quite with the uh, the intensity that Mary does. So we wanted to get in touch with her to get a, a recap of what took place over the last few weeks of the track and field season. So, Mary, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Always, uh, always happy to talk to you and uh, and what was covering a, a busy track and field season. So we'll go back a few weeks now, all the way back to the divisional championship meets, which sort of got actually the the spring championship season started. And and once we uh, survived a few rainy days, we were able to get some good competition going. So going all the way back to those divisionals, what were just a few of the performances that stood out for you uh, at the divisional championship meets? Yeah, kind of like you said before, weather played a big factor the first couple days. They had to cram in half of the Class S, Class L, and they shoved it in the full Class M meet all into one day. So that made for a busy day, but it also made for some really great performances, and you saw a lot of personal records. Um, One that kind of stood out was at the Class L meet, Spencer Brown. He was able to drop a 150 time in the 800, which is his PR, and it also broke um, Cass Loxham of Wilbur Cross, his record, who, if you follow track and field, he's now a professional runner, so that was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And then also you saw Danae Rivers in the 800. She broke um, Sissy Hop's record of Greenwich, which is a 34-year-old record. Um, she dropped, I think it was at 207. So those were two of the more impressive performances that we saw um, in the class I'll meet. The others... Um, Anna DeBalzi obviously winning the 16-32, and you just saw a lot of really great performances due to the delay, which actually ended up helping a lot of the athletes. Yeah, no, and, uh, and certainly the uh, the conditions not ideal those first couple days, but once we were able to uh, to get things kind of get rescheduled and 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 uh, and in the the performances were outstanding. So. I know we'll be hearing uh, a few more of those names as we go through here, talking about some of the other meets, but. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, moving to the to the state open, uh, where you had Tolland earning the championship on the girls' side and Windsor uh, coming away with the team title in the boys' championship meet. What were some of the sort of biggest factors in in those teams earning the the cha- the team championship titles at the state open? I think just 
starting with the Windsor boys, um, they're such a dominant team, and I think that goes back to just they're so balanced. They won by nearly 20 points, which is pretty unheard of at the state open level. It's mm-hmm. usually a little bit more closer, but they really separated themselves from the other teams with just that consistency and balance. Um, I mean, they scored points and from the 100 all the way up to the 800, winning the 400. All the relays scored points. They won the 4 by one second in the 4 by 4 4 by 8 And then um, they really didn't they didn't score that many points in the field, but they did score some. They placed fourth in the high jump, sixth in the long, and at the state open level, those all those points add up, and that's really what propelled them to the title. They have a they're very split heavy, but they also you know if you score in the relays like they did, then you have a good chance to win. Absolutely. For the for the Tallinn girls, obviously, um, they became the first team to win open titles in school history, and the cross-country, indoor, and outdoor, and again, kind of like Windsor, it's just that consistency. Holland didn't win a single event, um, but they did score points on almost all of the events. They placed third in the 400. They, I think they picked up 22 points from the 16 and 32 combined, which really separated them from the pack and kind of gave them, propelled them to their win. Um, they scored points in the 4x8, 4x2. They just were very, very um, consistent in their events, and they only won by two points over Windsor, but they did just enough. Yeah, and uh, and I know it was an exciting finish there in the in the girls championship meet. You mentioned that uh, it wasn't as as close as as maybe you projected on the boys side, but the girls meet did come down to that final event, and and Tolland able to come away with that historic uh, that historic sweep of the three uh, sort of running open right. uh, competitions, which was very uh, very mm-hmm. exciting and very fun to see. Uh, similarly yeah. to what I asked about the uh, the divisional championships, what were some of the impressive individual performances at the Open? I know maybe it was a, a, a certainly a warmer day and a little windy, which may have slowed mm-hmm. down some of the, the times, but what were some of the, the top performances that stood out to you? Yeah, like you said, the wind didn't produce a lot of PRs for sprinters or in-the-distance events, but we did see some really good performances. Um, Mark Doyle of Weaver, he, um, he didn't have the best Indoor state open, I think he ended up pulling his hamstring in um, the 100. So he really came back strong and swept the 100 and 200. And, again, he's only a sophomore, so that was really impressive to see. Mm-hmm. And then um, over in the pool vault, actually, those guys kind of benefited from that tailwind. And you saw three guys clear 15-15, 15-5 with uh, West Hills, Chris Ruff winning at 16 feet. And I don't know the last time. Connecticut had three guys who cleared um, over 15 feet, which is really neat to see. And then um, over on the track, I think probably the highlight was seeing Hellhouse is really a light. She reset her own state record in 300 the hurdles, um, going near um, 43 seconds flat, but she got um, 43.18, which is really, really neat for her to finish out her senior year on. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of excitement uh, individually and as we said with the the team competition. So, uh, f- though un- with unlike a lot of sports in Connecticut, the uh, the season doesn't necessarily end with the uh, the conclusion of the the CIAC championships. I know you've been busy keeping track of all of the uh, all of the performances, both whether at the the regional meets, the New England championships, or some of the national kind of championship level meets that Connecticut athletes have been competing in. So kind of taking a, a look at some of those 
uh, competitions, and I know there have been quite a few, but what were some of the highlights uh, that Connecticut athletes have been able to put forward over the past couple of weeks at some of these regional and national meets? I was just starting with the main one championship two weeks ago in Maine. Um, the highlight for me, and I know for a lot of people, was Danae Rivers of Cross, um, the two-time Gatorade athlete of the year. She shattered Liz Mueller's 800 state record in 205.86, which is just ridiculous, especially if you know the history of Liz Mueller and what she was able to accomplish when she ran in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. So for Danae to do that, still at just being a junior is quite incredible. And then she finished third just last weekend at Nationals in the 800. And I believe she finished the season with the eighth fastest 800 pound in the country, mm-hmm. which is really incredible again. Um, at the National Meet, we saw, I would say it was really dominated by the relays. You didn't see a lot of, too many individual performances that stood out, but it was those relays, Western Boys, Windsor Boys, Windsor Girls, all um, earned All-American status and just really performed well under those conditions in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Paul and Girls, I believe they finished second in the nation with the 4-by-1 the mile relay. They set a new state record. They also placed well in the DMR. And then um, also at Nationals, a lot of teams didn't compete in the championship level, but they went down for the experience and competed in the emerging elite level. Sure. And one team that kind of stood out was the Coggenshaw girls. They actually set um, an emerging elite national record in the DMR, which, which was impressive. They have a lot of underclassmen, and will definitely be a team to watch next year. Very good. Um, sort of looking back as at, you know at the at the season as a whole, either you know looking at kind of at the championship meets in the big picture or or just the whole season. What were some of the the kind of biggest stories or, or things that you're sort of going to remember the most uh, from the track and field season? Sort of the 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 calling cards, if you will, kind of to to what this season was all about. Um, for me, I mean, I think it would be wrong not to mention Alex Osberg. I mean, it was just a terrible. Ending for his historic and memorable high school career, he mm-hmm. suffered a stress fracture early May, mid-May, so he wasn't able to compete at the um, in the tennis championship meets the FCS and all of those. He decided to just rest and get ready for college, but he did probably the best race I've seen was when he went down to New York and competed at the uh, Laux Games, where he dropped an 843-93 in the 3200, which is second fastest in the country and that was that was very very impressive for him to do and I know he really wanted to keep keep going after that but I think that was the meet where he kind of got hurt but um besides him again Danae Rivers she just proved to be at that elite level and again she's only a junior right and um just like you said at the open Windsor's performance the boys and Pollen girls they really just put on two impressive performances and just stood out as those teams that were the best in Connecticut. Yeah. Do you, um, you know, sort of last question here is, uh, is we appreciate all of your, your insight. You know, obviously uh, we talk about sort of all these national meets that the Connecticut athletes are going to and, and you know, performers like Danae and, and Hannah DeBalzi and Alex. Um, 
and it sort of feels like Connecticut has kind of been building a reputation over the past few years with, uh, you know, with athletes now who have moved on to the collegiate level for their, you know, excellence at the national level. Is that something you feel like continued to build this season, sort of plateaued a little bit? Where do we kind of stand maybe uh, from your perspective, at least on, in terms of sort of how that, that progression is moving in terms of sort of the national performers in track and field? Um. I really think, like like you said, you see more of the national level uh, continuing to grow for Connecticut in the distance events, mm-hmm. and I think that that really just starts to people dropping those those crazy times, like Alex and Hannah and others stepping up to the plate. The tall and girls really improved on their on their times, and it just propels the other athletes to say, "Hey, I can do that time. You know, I can get close to that." Just kind of put that barrier out there and. We've seen that more definitely in the in the distance events more so than the field of sprints, but also the relays as well. They've been, they've been competing really well at the national level, and I think again that goes back to coaching and what other athletes in the state and country are doing. You know, a lot of resources are available online. Nothing's a secret anymore. Times are times so kids. Just saying, hey, I can achieve that. Connecticut has really stepped up to the plate. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to to track. I, I feel like I sort of got here in, in Connecticut just at sort of the the crest of the wave a little bit, and so it's been fun to uh, to watch. And you also mentioned coaching. Just wanted to to point out a story that uh, that I know you covered uh, extensively, and that was the retirement of uh, of a legendary track coach from Amity. Uh, Tom Jacobs, who was uh, re- retiring this year from uh, from that position, so just wanted to uh, to mention that story as well as one uh, that kind of came out just right during the the championship season that maybe folks uh, might not have been able to to keep track of. So wanted to uh, to mention that as well. I know you were very uh, very impressed with with what he'd been able to do as a, as a coach at Amity during his career. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was able to speak to him after the state open. I'll have more on him later this summer. But you know he. He's done so much for the sport of track and field, and um, like you said, you know, he's still kind of one of the younger coaches. He's been around, you know, 30-plus years, but um, he's just done so much for the for track and field in the entire state, not just the SEC where he coaches in, but um, he just has such a passion, which a lot of coaches kind of mention when describing him, and he has his own timing company, and he really just loves the sport and wants to Absolutely. So we're very happy to uh, to talk about that, and also just to always chat with Mary and, and get her perspective. She does uh, she works tirelessly covering track and field uh, and cross country in the state of Connecticut. So it's a lot of fun keeping track of all these impressive performances. And uh, Mary, as always, we thanks for uh, thank you for being with us and uh, appreciate all your work and uh, rest up a little bit uh, during the summer. As cross country, you'll be here before we know it. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always, to Mary for offering her insight. It really does a great job of keeping track of what's going on in track and field across the state of Connecticut, really uh, in tune with what's happening in terms of records and all that interesting stuff that we really appreciate. She's able to provide that perspective for us. We wrap things up now. Four baseball championships were decided at Palmer Field in Middletown a few weekends ago. Henry Chisholm of the New Haven Register was there recording the action in all four contests. We want to hear what he's got to say about that baseball competition.
We are joined now by Henry Chisholm of the New Haven Register and Game Time CT for their web presence. And Henry was on hand for all four of the CIC baseball championships at Palmer Field. So we want to check in with him and, uh, and get his perspective on what took place there. So, Henry, thanks as always for being with us. Thanks for having me. Always happy to, uh, to chat with you. And uh, you got things. Well, let's, let's start with what ended up being the last game of the weekend and probably in certainly the most dramatic the the class l final between north haven and east lime with north haven coming away with the the title there what sort of stood out obviously a, a really dramatic and uh an exciting finish to that game but what kind of stood out to you uh from that class l championship you know to me and i, I think this is one of the things that sometimes can get lost <clears throat> in baseball in the, in the postseason because a lot of times conventional wisdom tells you if you have two good pitchers and a, a couple of bats um, in your lineup, like, you know, the two, three, four, five guys can really, you know, get on base and produce runs, you're going to win. Mm-hmm. You look at North Haven and taking nothing away from uh, the talent on that roster, but they're not built that way. That That is a a team that started playing their best baseball at the right time. You know, they went into the tournament after getting no hit by Mike Howell in the first round of the Southern Connecticut Conference Tournament. They had a really bad slump to end the season. I want to say they lost seven of their last eight. Wow. And, uh, you know, their their division was probably one of the weaker divisions in the SEC, uh, theirs and the um, and the Hammond Asset. So, you know, for them to to put it together the way they did and go on the run that they went on, that's, that's a team. And, you know, Coach DeMeo and his, Coach Bob DeMeo and his coaching staff, you know, right there they proved why – they're one of the best coaching staffs in the state, and and why he's why Coach DeMeo was a legend in this state uh, in high school baseball because that was just a great coaching job, and hats off to everybody on that team because you know they they show that in, in high school baseball if you have a complete team from top to bottom, even if they're not the most talented, you can put it together at the right time and do some things. Yeah, and uh, we've talked about you know several times in some of these other conversations about the the spring. I don't know what it is, but it seems the spring championships more than any other. You can kind of see teams that uh, that just get on a roll and are able to sort of uh, you know maybe rebound from disappointing seasons and, and make the most of a championship run. So uh, it, it certainly seemed to be the case uh, for for North Haven, as you said. Um, Looking at uh, the the game that sort of started off the weekend, a uh, very impressive performance from Sheehan, uh, earning a five nothing victory over Montville in class Class M. What was sort of the story of that game from your perspective? I think it was just how good Sheehan was all season. I mean, they went two and one this season against Amity, who um, won the Southern Connecticut Conference tournament. They beat the number one team in the state previously, before they took it to end the year out in East Catholic, mm-hmm. um, held them to a season-low one run. And then they go up against Montville, who, you know, was the best team in the Eastern Connecticut Conference. They won the ECC tournament, and uh, they, they defeated them in the final. And, you know, that win was a convincing one. I want to say they gave up four runs in the entire Class M tournament, which uh, was the lowest given up in the Class M tournament since, 2010, I want to say New London did it and only gave up one. So, I mean, it's just that game was all about the dominance of Sheehan this year. You can tell uh, roster-wise coming into the year that they, they had they had the guys to do it. And for it to come together the way it did, it's great for Coach Matt Altieri and those guys over there because they've got talent. And, you know, you look at uh, Paul Gazzo, their catcher, you know, I know last year in the tournament, I was in a press box at Palmer just saying, like, man, I feel like 
anybody who tries to steal second is going to get second because nobody can throw anyone out. And right. I mean, he he takes away your running game. Mm-hmm. So in the playoffs, it's all about getting guys on base, pushing over that first run. Because once you most of the time you score first in the playoffs, you're going to win. It's only seven innings, so you know he, he takes that away. If so you got to you have to hit their pitching, and their pitching was superior this season, and they had the bats. I mean. Like I said, they they could do it again next year. You could easily see them come back next year and and do back to and win back to back championships in Class M and potentially even win the SEC next season. So I think it was just this this is the beginning of some great things happening in Wallingford uh, at Shannon High School for baseball. Yeah, no, it really was a, a, an impressive run through the tournament, as you said, from beginning to end for uh, for that squad. Uh, a team that you mentioned uh, in talking about Sheehan's success this year uh, is Amity, and talking about uh, teams that have been able to figure out how to get hot at the right time of year. Obviously, very talented talented squads, but Amity coming away with the Double L Championship, their their third straight uh, championship in Double L. They become just the second team uh, in CIC history to win three consecutive state titles in any division. Uh, uh, and the first to do it in, in double L. What has sort of, uh, you know, what what is what has Amity figured out about this tournament, Henry, that uh, that nobody else seems to be able to uh, to do? <laughs> Honestly, they just, they're talented. You know, talent talent is going to win for you in most cases. And yeah. They're talented and, and they're well coached. And, you know, I think every Amity team for the past three years uh, that they've been on this run, with the exception of the first one, because that first team, from a pitching standpoint, was really loaded. You know, they paced themselves throughout the regular season. You know, I don't think the way the playoffs are, uh, it's, it's constructed, you don't need to have a 16, 17, 18 win season um, to be successful in in the class double L or L postseason. Because you know, yeah, it, it helps to not have to play a road game and hop on a bus, and you know, especially some of the road trips that we saw this past postseason with teams pretty much going like across the state to play a playoff game and then drive back home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can avoid that, you want to avoid it. But, I mean, you look at the bracket and, and double L this past season, I mean, there was no such thing as an easy game. I don't care if you're the one seed, the two, all the way down to the 32. Every game you're going to play in that tournament, you got a potential to lose it because the class was just so strong. So you just want to get yourself in. If you can get yourself into the postseason and be playing your best ball, you know, they're going to win. They did that. They they got themselves in. They got hot um, at the right time during the SEC tournament. You know, they ran through every team they played against. And I want to say from the SEC tournament on to the final uh, to finish the year off, they scored 68 runs. Yeah. That's, that's seven games. They scored 68 runs in seven games. So, you know, if, if you got the guys to do it, don't burn them out trying to win 19 games. You know, save – save a little bit in the tank because of, you know, the postseason stretch isn't going to be easy. And they, they do that every year. They, they always make sure that their guys are ready to go when they need to be ready to play. Yeah, no, absolutely. It uh, it really is a pretty remarkable, considering what we were talking about, you know, that the uh, the the teams that win the championships, you know, aren't always necessarily the teams that are the, the best during the season. It's impressive to to be able to run off three uh, three consecutive titles like this. So the one game uh, that you weren't covering, I know, for the New Haven Register, but uh, I know you were in the building because I, uh, I happened to stop by during this game, uh, the Class S final between Northwest Catholic and, uh, and Morgan. What stood out to you in, uh, in that contest? The coaching, the coaching. I think I posted a tweet about it. Northwest Catholic's coach was, he was intense, and he was, you know, he was really motivated and into the game, and you need that. You know, they didn't come into the tournament as a high seed. 
I think in Class S, it was pretty much up for grabs this year. And, um, you know, when you have energy, when you have guys that are, are willing to, you know, motivate their players and, and players that really want it, it doesn't really matter where you're seated in baseball. Again, like we talked about before, if you get hot at the right time, you can do some things. And, you know, it's the game is it's only two innings shorter than, you know, a major league baseball game or a college game. Mm-hmm. But seven innings is really a short game. So if you can just get on the board first, especially in a championship game where you know, you know, guys are nervous and, you know, every every play counts for that much more, just get on the board first. And they did a great job of that throughout the entire tournament and uh, especially in the final. Yeah, no question, and uh, some some stellar defense. Uh, I'll use this as an opportunity to plug the uh, the highlight reel that I put up on uh, CICSports.com, which features highlights from all of the championships, but uh, some spectacular defense played in that uh, that Class S final by Northwest Catholic, uh, and Morgan as well, for that matter, but uh, really helped them uh, come away with the championship. So we'll sort of uh, we'll go big picture here, Henry. It's sort of from the weekend itself, the championship weekend, if you kind of had a big, you know, big picture takeaway, what uh, – what sort of is to you the story of the, the 2015 baseball championship weekend? The big story from the championship weekend to me would be, like I mentioned before, Sheehan. I think Sheehan is, you know, up and coming as one of the the new dynasties. I, I mean, obviously, Amity can't win it like this forever. Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at Sheehan, they got some young guys coming back. They're going to lose some pitching. But, you know, they've got some, some good players coming back and, and good young players in that system. So I think it just proves right there that – um. You know they're they're up and coming as one of the the big dynasties, and you know I think another storyline right there with that is, is Coach DeMeo. You know obviously he didn't want to tell us if he's gonna if he's gonna retire or if he's gonna come back. I emailed his uh, assistant coach, one of his assistant coaches, after the game, like the very next day, and I said, listen, you know what do you know? Because you know everybody always says like oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do, and sure. they're telling you that. And last Friday, they had a team meeting and told everybody, listen, this is it. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's, it's either he's coming back or he's not. Right. Somebody has to know. And, you know, their assistant coaches don't even know. So, you know, definitely if, if that was the end, you know, the way that he went out, if he is going to retire, I think it was great. So, and he's, he's just a good guy. So, you know, but my gut tells me he's going to come back. I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him any um on Saturday, just what you know, what you took away from it. But I feel like he's going to come back next year. But I think it would be those two things. Seeing is this the start of a dynasty because they've got the, you know, they definitely have the seeds to to start that up. And then obviously, Coach DeMeo, if he chooses to hang it up after 2015. Yeah, no, I, I did not get a chance to speak with him, but uh, you know, either way, it's certainly whether it's uh, the final exclamation point or uh, you know a, a sort of maybe the beginning of a last kind of uh, deserved swan song for him. That would be uh, certainly a fun way to uh, to wrap things up. So it was uh, it was a fun weekend, and Henry, we know you did a, an outstanding job covering baseball all year for the uh, the Register, and uh, you always do a great job coming on for us. So thanks very much for your uh, perspective, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks so much to Henry offering his insight about the four baseball championships. It was a great weekend of competition at Palmer Field, wrapping up with that thrilling Class L final. Again, once again, hope you check out the NFHS Network highlights that we have on CICSports.com. They also conclude with the highlights from that Class L final in the sport of baseball. And we thank you very much for being with us for this extra supersized edition of the CIC cast. 
six guests. We hope you stuck with it, listened all the way through, or were able to pick your way through and find the discussion about the sports that you are interested in. We will be posting CIC cast throughout the summer, probably not on a, uh, a consistently uh, regular schedule, but when we've got topics that we think we'd like to, uh, to address, we will be posting. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports to keep track of what's going on. We'll always post the link to a new CIAC cast when we record it. Also, of course, you can follow us. Just check out CIACsports.com and the CIAC cast link will be there. You can subscribe to the CIAC cast on iTunes. That way you'll know for sure that when a new one is posted during the summer months that you will get it immediately. And, of course, you can also email us. CIACcast at CASCIAC.org is the way to get in touch with us. Let me know what uh, topics you'd like us to cover during these summer months. We've got a uh, chance to maybe talk about some wider range of things, some issues, some interesting questions. We'd love to hear from our read- from our listeners and uh, find out what's on your mind as well. So CIACcast at CASCIAC.org. A lot of C's, a lot of S's in that uh, email address, but we hope to hear from you, and we hope to have you check out whatever edition of the CIACcast comes next. But for now... Thank you so much for being with us and checking out this comp- this conversation about the CIAC Spring Championships. We were thrilled with the way things went down over the final few weeks of the season. The weather cooperated. We had a beautiful championship weekend and uh, really a thrilling end to the spring season. So thanks very much. We're very grateful for you joining us and listening. Once again, I'm Joel Cookson. Hope you'll join us once again when we come back for another edition of the CIAC Cast. <laughs>